What's up, everyone? Today, uh, bringing you guys something a little different. Uh, we've done about 30 episodes this year, taking a couple of weeks off now uh, for the holidays. So just wanted to run back some of our favorite episodes for the next couple of weeks. So if you've been here since day one, you've probably heard them. Definitely worth a re-listen. Me and Mason have been listening to a bunch of them, and it's crazy to you know, even think back to some of these conversations. So first, I uh, wanted to bring you our conversation with Logic. Uh, which if you're an OG fan, you'll remember was the first episode we ever released. And it was also the first one we ever recorded. I think we've gotten a little bit better as hosts since then. And Logic was just an amazing first guest to have on. His his stories, his journey with mental health, uh, the ways he still struggles and, and how he's trying to overcome that in his life is a pretty incredible story and really a lot to learn for anyone. And I think each time I listen to that, I feel like I take something new away. So Hopefully you guys enjoy that. Hopefully you guys are starting to wind down for the holidays and we'll talk again next week, but enjoy the episode with Logic. Yeah, super excited to re-release this episode. Obviously it came out back in the summertime, so hopefully it'll be new for some of you. And even if you've been a day one listener, there are some tweaks and some updates and some new sound bites that we made to the episode. So hit us up in the comments if you notice the differences. Today we are joined by a... New friend, but long time ally. You know, feels like we've known him for a long time. Yeah. Um, and a pioneer, we would say, in the mental health space, uh, joined by Logic, uh, also known today to us as Bobby. So thank you so much for being here. Of course. Can I curse? Yes. <laughs> okay, fucking awesome. Dope. <laughs> um, so, yeah, for us, uh, and we were just chatting before we started recording, but I think it's pretty crazy thinking back. We launched four years ago almost to, to date, uh, April of 2017, just a few weeks after you dropped the the 1-800 song. And just crazy to think back to that, right? When we were starting the brand, we had seen a lot of cool brands that we grew up with and not as many were trying to make an impact, right, in the world. And mental health was just becoming something that people were talking about, but was still so stigmatized and still is today. So I think it's just crazy timing that that song came out right when we were launching because we do very much see that that song as like a pivotal moment in in the world, really. And and so just wanted to give that background because it, it truly made an impact on us and, and the brand we're trying to build. Wow, that's dope. Yeah, it's funny making that song. Like, I didn't think that any like that was going to happen at all. I made it from such a pure place in my heart. And just a little bit of background on the song is I've been trying to chase a radio hit my whole career because like mm. I think any rapper wants to be, you know, anybody anybody in, in their lane wants to be the biggest thing in the world, you know? So I was like for years kind of making certain songs that like I look back and I don't, I don't regret making those songs, but like certain songs on my first album or my second album, I was trying to make to like appease a certain crowd. And then I was just over it. And I'd been doing it from my mixtape days and all this. And I was just so over it. And I had a conversation with my manager, Chris, and I was like, dude, I don't want to do this anymore. And he was like, all right, man, just do you. And then I did me and then bam, <laughs> it was really weird, actually. That's amazing. Um, and yeah, I guess we like to start off. Maybe yeah, uh, before we officially get started, we like to kick off every episode uh, with just a prompt from our journal that all three of us will answer just to kind of take a temperature check, all of us kind of be present um, and show up. So today's prompt is today I feel. Um, so I'll start it off. Bobby, I'll kick it to you and then payment can answer. Today, I'm feeling excited uh, to talk to you, to have this conversation I'm super excited about. And then in a few hours, actually, my sister is getting married. So I'm super excited for that, too. Uh, the first one of my siblings to get married, it's going to be on Zoom. So not how we would normally do it, but I'm feeling very excited today and, and very grateful for these two awesome things. Sick. Is it my turn? Yes, sir. Today, I feel less anxious than usual. That's a good thing. Um, today, I feel very happy that my wife and little boy are healthy, and today I feel hungry because I'm intermittent fasting. <laughs> there we go. We know there how that is. is. We know how that is. Same. Um, I'm feeling grateful too. Uh, grateful to be here. I think uh, it's it's often hard to like stop in the moment, realize where we've come over the past couple of years, and hopefully we can continue uh, both a as ourselves and as a brand continue evolving and and just getting better and and hopefully being a more positive light in the world. So sweet. Yeah. So let's get right into it. We'd love to talk about just kind of what's your first experience with mental health when you kind of noticed it, 
within yourself and your upbringing and just kind of your earliest memory of, of dealing with something like that? My earliest memory is I was uh, really into break dancing and I, I was showing my mom this this trick and I kind of like popped my shoulder out of a socket and it like went right back in. It was really weird. And I was in a lot of pain and she put me in a sling and I was okay. And then she had to go to the store. It was like nine at night when she left. I had this crazy panic attack and I was all alone and I didn't know what it was. And when she came back, um, I had explained to her what happened. And then she was like, oh, yeah, that's just anxiety. Welcome to my world of like Xanax. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and um, that was like my first real thing. But I also believe because I, I, I never had the best relationship with my mother. So um, I don't think there was genuine love between me and her. I think it was more like a, a bit of a brainwashing situation where I felt she made me feel like I needed her. So I think I, I had hit a like a, I was like 13. Mm-hmm. 12 like just, just around 13 so i think now is it's like you find your independence um something about that triggering event with my shoulder and then her leaving me made me get really scared and i remember i would go to friends houses and and like i always loved to go to get out of my house because it was full of drugs and violence and crazy stuff and um i would start to make more friends especially at the skate park and i would go and their moms would be like, hey, you want to you want to hang, you know, you want to spend the night? And it's like they had all the best video games, all the snacks, all the stuff because we was on welfare and food stamps and shit. And I'd be like, yeah. And then I would start to get really anxious, like, oh, no, I'm not home. I'm not safe, even though I was totally fine, you know, and I would not spend the night at this place that I really wanted to be. And so that was like my first encounter of actually. Um, it's funny. I was watching Karate Kid 3 the other day. <laughs> And uh, Mr. Miyagi was like, it's okay to lose to your opponent, but not to fear. Mr. Miyagi, it's over. It's over. Forget about it. No. I'm afraid. Just get out of here. I want to go home. Cannot, cannot, must not. It's okay to lose to opponent. Must not lose to fear. Yo, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of him, all right? Oi, oi, oi. You stay focused. And I was like, yo, that's some some real shit right there. And so I feel like in, in these last few years, I've, I've been in a, in a much better space mentally. But yeah, from a very young age, it was like triggered and actually affected like how I, what I did and what I didn't do. Yeah. So when you were feeling that anxiety as a kid, it like you were able to realize that something was go- going on and like act on it and go home and like not sleep over at that friend's house, even though you didn't really know that it was anxiety or really like what to do with it it was just kind of like i know i don't feel right and i'm gonna go do something to make myself feel better kind of thing yeah but it's not even that i i did something to make myself feel better i succumbed to the feeling and allowed it to win and i did that for years and years and years and years you know and i'm and i'm doing my autobiography right now that i'm working on and like i talk a lot about that or like the first time because i'd been in i'd been in a bunch of situations with guns and knives and fighting and violence and all this stuff but one day i was skipping school at like 16 years old and this dude's like bigger dude like came up behind me and punched me in the face and i like i ducked down and i remember being like i don't got nothing on me because i thought he wanted to rob me and i'm looking at this dude and he's like way bigger than i am and i'm like oh my god and i grab my knife and uh and then my knife falls in the leaves and i'm like (laughs) oh my god and like i ran and then after that i stayed in the house for like three years damn i don't know what it was about that it was weird you wouldn't leave i was it just well, you know what? I talk about this in the book a bit and, you know, I don't want to go too deep because I'm, you know, trying to get that number one spot. No, I'm just kidding. But um, I think what it really came down to is all the violence and, and things that I had experienced as a child. I was kind of always safe because I was a kid. Nobody's really gunning after the kid. You know what I mean? The kid's the, just the kid on the sidewalk or he's seeing what's what's happening. But like at 15, 16, then I was even though I was still like 98 pounds soaking wet, but it was like, I was now the adult, like I'm becoming the target, you know? Um, And so I think that freaked me out and I started to see the world in like a completely different way, um, which isn't a good thing. Um, But in retrospect, even though it's not good, me staying in, I put all my heart and soul into making music. So it's like, even though I was like a shut away, you know what I mean? Um, it, I mean, shit worked out for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. When you were staying home, like, did home feel like a safe space for you? Like, where you could really be yourself? I feel like for me, just thinking about my experience, like, coming from, like, a blended family and just, like, things kind of always on the move a little bit. It was so 
weird for me to like not really feel like I had that. And then I kind of had to like develop another sense of myself to kind of create my own little safe world in my home that's like supposed to be this safe world. So like when you were home for those three years or whatever, like you said, did that like, how did you feel there? Well, it's funny because I, I, I was with my I was with my dad at the time when that happened. And then my mom got stabbed. So then I went to go see my mom and take oh. care of her. And then I eventually moved in with her. So you were going um, back and forth. Yeah, but because my dad was never in my life. And then so it wasn't until I was like 16 that I was like, I want to go live with my dad. Like, you're crazy. And then I went right. to go live with him. And that really wasn't a good situation. And then after um, she had gone through what she what had happened to her, uh, I went home to go help her. And then I decided to stay. And my dad, I remember like telling him like, yo, I want to go see my mom and he wouldn't even give me a ride. So I had to like pack all my shit and take two buses and do all this stuff. And then I get there and then I'm with her and then she heals up and she gets better. But like the house that I'm in to answer your question, it feels like a prison and it feels like a safe space because inside of the space, you know, I know I'm okay, but then I'm living with this like overly religious, but like hip in the hypocritical sense, drill sergeant it was just like really weird you know my mom was like don't cuss motherfucker like that was my mom you know yeah and so that had happened and then there was this crazy altercation where she was like naked and bleeding all over the place because she cut herself and a friend of mine was staying with us and it was like this whole thing and i was like we can't live here anymore and then that's when i moved into my godmother's house at 17 then i got two jobs but mind you i'm still always in the house i'm never going anywhere but yeah just wait for the book it's gonna be crazy (laughs) (laughs) it's crazy like Cause I'm thinking about just the, the cards that were dealt as kids. It like, it's so out of our control and yet it's so formative and how it shapes like who we are, why we are and how we become. So like, it's so interesting for me to hear you say, like, I felt like a prison and it was safe at the same time because it's like, what other option do I have? This is my home and this is what I got. It like, it just kind of, we're, we have to deal with this. Um, and it's really largely out of our control. I find it just like so interesting. Yeah. It's a bummer. Actually is what it is because well, at least in my situation, but I think like every other kid on the planet, that's just the way it is. Like if your parents say do the dishes, like you have to do, there's what, there is no talking back. And if you do, For you sure. get your ass whooped or you get your PS4 taken away. If you're a white kid, I don't know. I'm kidding. <laughs> but it's like, it's like, it's just a, you know, it's, it, that's our, our, all our childhoods are very unique, but I think no matter how good or bad or, you know, your specific home is, there's still kind of that same bond. I think we all have where it's just like, we're not really in control. Um, right. So it is what it is. And for you, you, you talked about getting into music and that what was that what allowed you to detach a little bit and like move on to like the next phase of your life? Or what was like that first sprinkle of change for you? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I mean, my escape uh was like cowboy bebop this anime i loved and like drawing and short stories and it's really funny full circle how like the world moves because some of my earliest creative memories are what is watching cowboy bebop and then the main character spike is voiced by steve bloom and now he's one of my best friends and we've done like albums wow. together and i've had him like on it which is really cool but i think i think even early on it was that but when it comes to music i know for sure it's like yo i was i was 15 I started writing and then I just remember my mom, she would like be upset that I had like curse words in the raps, right. which I, I get as a parent, but it's like, also it's like, I'm 15. Like my sister was 15 and had a baby. Like, what are you doing? Like, this is like <laughs> an outlet. Thing, like you're yeah. letting me, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, and so I, I think that was it. But every time I found something like my mom, and I'm not trying to depict her as this bad person because she's a hurt person and she's an ill person. That's really what it comes down to. And I understand that, especially now as an adult, but it's like, even when I was drawing Dragon Ball Z, she was like, this is too violent. Jesus, you need to draw like doves and shit. And I was just like, bro, which is really funny to go even further. Sorry. I know it's just, I'm going, but like for me, when it comes to religion, like I totally and utterly respect like people's religion. And I'm actually surprised I didn't become like a Satanist out of spite because my mom was so like, like super like Jesus, Jesus, everything's Jesus, Jesus. But it was like, Jesus, like, homosexuals will not enter the kingdom of heaven and every other religion is going to burn in hell and like all the stuff. And I was just like this, that doesn't sound right to me personally and growing, right. I have my own personal beliefs. I don't really Mm -hmm. follow a religion. I just do my best to be a good person. I believe in God. I don't think it's a white dude with a beard on a cloud, but I do think that there is something more and I can accept 
and actually just be cool with like not knowing what that is and just trying to trying to be cool and while not persecuting anyone for their beliefs or anything. So my mother was always she always had that and I don't know how it wasn't instilled in me. I think seeing my father do drugs and my sisters get knocked up and my brothers running in gangs and my dad not being there and my mother being abused and beaten by men and beating me and all these different things was like, "Hey, don't do this." <laughs> yeah. So I I just like kind of broke the cycle I guess by just not not doing those things. Yeah, and what do you think like the awareness was like I know for me, I did not have that kind of awareness when I was a kid, which is like, how did you not get caught up in the drugs and, and everything going on around you? I just don't think that's who I was, man. And I know that sounds funny because I've been, I've ran, I've ran around, shot some guns, I've done some stupid stuff, but it's like, I've never done anything I can look in the mirror and like, I'm fully full of regret. Actually, there is one thing, but honestly, that's also just... <laughs> It's in the book. I'm not I'm not like trying to promote my book. I don't even know when it's coming out, but it's in the book and it's like a really crazy thing. But nothing nothing, yeah, that I can't look in the mirror and you know, I like I own my life and, and everything that I've done thus far. But I think to answer your question, it's a bit of like I don't know, God and luck and common sense and it's just who I was, who I who I am deep down, you know. Like I knew that I I I'm I'm not a I could never try to I just wasn't that. I just saw it and something was like, don't do like, dude, like 11 years old holding your first gun and like your your sister's boyfriend's like wiping the bullets off after he's like shows you what the bullets look like so that and he's explaining to you like, yeah, you know, like you have to wipe the casings because if you shoot and kill somebody <laughs> and I'm like, what if you shoot and kill somebody? Uh, you know, forensics can find your your fingerprints or whatever. And then he goes in the other room and cooks crack. And I'm just like, yo, this is insane. Were you like <laughs> conscious of that being not a normal upbringing? One and and two, I feel like it kind of forced you to to grow up a lot faster. Yeah, maybe than most other kids, just being exposed to to things like that. Yeah, um, I think it was like a normal thing for me, for me. It's like, right. it's, a, it's like I began, I, I understood class at a very young age. Yeah. So I was just lower class, you know? So I was like, this is my life and this is normal here. And then I'd like befriend somebody at the skate park or like somehow start talking. I was a little ladies man. So I start talking to some cute girl and her parents are loaded. And then I'm, you know, I wouldn't even say I was jealous or envious I was more so really appreciative whenever I was with those friends or those people in their house or, you know, going like mini golfing and shit like that. Like that was like, wow. And then, you know, you go back to hell and it is what it is. Did that make you kind of feel bad about yourself at all? No. Ah, I think the only thing I think very normally in the sense of like, I didn't have new shoes. I didn't have Jordans. Right. I didn't have an Xbox. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have these things. So. I kind of felt like, damn, like I'm less than in a way. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't have the mental capacity to understand that. No, it doesn't matter how much money you have or you don't. Like we're all equal. Someone could right. be rich and then they could be poor mentally. Like it's just, yeah, it, it, those things don't matter. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think, I think you brought up a good point, which is like, all you know, I think growing up is like in comparison, right? You, you mm -hmm. like look at your rich friends and you're like, well, you know, what was it for you when you started getting into music? I feel like you've done an amazing job of just like manifesting you know your path throughout your career right like you started where was like your smallest show right and then you ended up selling out msg mm. how were you able to see that lane maybe you weren't but how are you able to see that lane when you were in such a position of like there's almost no chance he could do this uh i think it was really just a hobby that i poured my everything into right so i just spent all this time doing it because the more that i put into the music i actually saw it. it's like even now like my shoulder hurts because because of guitar and like I'm constantly playing guitar all the time. It's like my new Rubik's Cube. I'm just like I like to do shit, new stuff. And so back then that was it. That was the thing. And then as I got older in the years past, even though I was like maybe getting a new microphone or, you know, um, I don't know, beats or instrumental CDs, CDs, I'm dating myself, my God. And then um, all these things. And then slowly but surely it's like, you meet a friend who makes beats and then you meet somebody else who's like a DJ and then you meet somebody else and then it starts to kind of become like a reality of, of things that can, can happen. So then I, I looked at it as like, uh, because systemically in rap music, it's like, yeah, bitches and hoes and I'll kill you and blah, blah, blah. Right. But that's like the bullshit 
that's not really what hip hop is founded on at all. Um, and I think that's that it's just like the gladiator. Like everyone loves to see the guy in the ring fight the lion or, you know, 11 other guys. Like there's something about YouTube videos where people fight. Like, it's just, I don't know how to explain it. Like even like bully gets what he deserves. It's like, who kind of doesn't <laughs> want to see that? You know what I mean? So I think that's, uh, and that's getting into like this crazy level of where, I mean, I've definitely talked about bitches and guns and stuff in my raps, but it's always like how I've done it. And back then I focused on more understanding that this is a brand. And if I'm really good at this, um, instead of taking a check or money or this or that and spending it on something utterly worthless, like a chain, um, I can afford to fix my best friend's mom's truck that gets us around. I can get a new keyboard for my producer, a new camera for my cameraman, fund an entire tour, spend my own money on merch. I can turn this into a business right. or I could just go to the strip club. So I was like, uh, I'm not a strip club guy. And, you know, but I think that's another reason why I was, why I was, and still in some circles, I'm so unaccepted by the culture of like rap or whatever that means. And yet I'm one of the most successful rappers in the world. And I think it's because I, I leaned into who I am more than anything. You know what I mean? Like a black guy who looks white, <laughs> like, you know what I yeah. mean? Like how, who's, how can you not hate that guy? You know, especially when like the culture of hip hop is based on, uh, it's, it comes from color and diversity and, and, uh, these people trying to get their story out and create their own form of, uh, music, which is mine as well. But sometimes it's hard to accept that for certain people who may not know me or my background. So sorry, you know, I'm going on a lot. Good. I think in hip hop, especially it was just one of those things where I was like, you know what? I'm, I don't ever want to look back and be filled with regret. I'm just going to be me. And so I came in the game and I'm talking about fucking anime and, and, and Rubik's cubes and <laughs> nerd shit and all this video games and like streaming video games and all this, but like before it was a thing, you know what I mean? And I'm getting yeah. made fun of for it and like hated on. And I, I have this saying, it's, you know, I, I'd, I'd rather be, I, I think I heard it somewhere, but I'd rather be hated for who I am than love for who I'm not. Right. Like that's right. just like the realest thing in the world, but it is, it is, it is hard. It's, it's just definitely difficult to be yourself utterly and completely. And people tell you that it's like a farce or it's not good enough, or it's not real enough or raw enough or this enough or that enough. And I always found that really funny because, you know, Lil Wayne has a line, one of the greatest rap lines of all time, real G's move in silence like lasagna. Like I got more guns than God. You know, but I'm not yeah. going to sit here and talk about how oh, fuck you up or this or that or blah, blah, blah. Like I had to pull a piece on these people. I didn't know who they were on my property out in the country and yeah. run them down and figure out what was going on. And then it just turns out it's like a bunch of college kids who are like, oh, my God, we found out where logic lives. And it's like, I will fucking fuck you up. <laughs> but like, you know, I got a baby in the house. I got my wife. I got my this. I got my that. And I'm all about positivity. But what I'm saying is, is the authenticity of where I come from, the authenticity of how I handle myself and the drugs I've seen and the this and the that. And even now as a man, like what I got, like my squad, my people is like some real gangster shit, but it's like Sinatra gangster. You know what I mean? It's not like ignorant, like it's like some real shit. And yeah. I'm not saying I'm a gangster. <laughs> I'm yeah. saying it's just like real G's move in silence. So I think yep. it's funny that I'm actually kind of the epitome of like what hip hop stands for, building something, holding down your family, coming from nothing, underdog story, being ready to protect yours, all these different things. And yet it isn't perceived that way, maybe because I, I don't know, I don't look the part, you know what I mean? Or right. or my skin isn't dark enough or whatever the case may be. But I, I, I think I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm glad I'm, I'm who I am. Yeah. I think that that authenticity piece is so important and that's something that we try and show too because it it's not easy to talk about mental health right we've kind of been doing it before it was super sexy and and for us to show up and really be real and be authentic i feel like is the most important part like it it's so much more about internally and how we feel and what we're trying to express than what people see externally right is like here's this dude is he white is he black i don't know like that's how they're judging you before they even really get to know you um and it's been so cool to see you kind of lead internal where i feel like these days everyone is kind of leading externally on IG or whatever. Um, and I'd kind of love to talk about first getting started in your career and kind of the birth of Logic. You know, I was reading that you first got into hip hop from watching like a Tarantino film. And then when I yeah. first started listening to you when I was in high school, it was like the Young Sinatra tapes and just kind of 
becoming an artist and almost creating like an alter ego or like another version of yourself kind of like, what was that process like and how much of it was trying to escape from maybe my childhood or my upbringing and create this like fictionalized cinematic world and how much of it was just I'm going to be a rapper now and I got to kind of switch my shit up no I think uh well that's really cool and that's dope that you listened to me in high school thanks uh, <laughs> yeah I feel I feel like um it was never an escape. I think my music was always, oh, okay. In a sense, me writing raps and this and that is like kind of an escape from what's going on around me. But even what's going right. on around me, I'm I'm facing it because I'm writing about it. Do you see what I right. mean? So it's never like, it's not like an escape like heroin. You know what I mean? Where I'm just going to do this thing <laughs> because I don't like, it's not like that. But I think it's a healthy one. And when I was making this music, it was something that like, like like logic like being logic well first of all first of all i was like skittles and then i was hitman and then i was lord subliminal and then i was east coast killer with two k's <laughs> and then i was all this like st- you know stupid stuff but it was more so like wu-tang you know you think about the rizza the jizza old dirty bastard method man inspected like all these guys and then they have their alter egos you know what i mean like this right. is the abbot is the genius so it was like oh this is like this is cool this is i get to be like i'm bruce wayne broke in this house but like i pick up a pen and i'm batman you know what i mean so right that's kind of where that came from not to escape from Bobby. Um, but I feel like logic is, uh, narrating Bobby's life, if you will. Right. So once I was psychological, my buddy, uh, Lenny, who I lived with before I got my record deal, uh, when I was homeless, I didn't have a place to stay. He let me sleep on his couch for a year. And before I knew it, bam, I was signed to Def Jam. And the story begins really right professionally. And he was like, Yo, like psycho, uh, um, like he didn't know. He was just like, I'm just call you logic. And I was like, all right, bet. So then that kind of coin. And as I'm logic, I start thinking about different things. I had recorded um, this song called Young Sinatra for the Young Broken Infamous mixtape. It's like my first like official release that I did in 2010. And I just did a song and it sounded kind of swaggy and like really cool. And I was like, oh, this is some modern day, like young Sinatra, like Sinatra kind of vibes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I decided um, later, like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go by that name. Like, that's going to be my Slim Shady, my Hove, my, you know, Louis Vuitton Don to the Kanye West. You know, like that's going to be me. Yeah. And then with that, I'm looking at Mac Miller. I'm looking at Wiz Khalifa from you know, most dope or this or that. All these people have like these brands. So I'm like, okay, well, if I'm the young Sinatra and I look at a Kanye who has his his label, Good Music, Getting Out Our Dreams, it's an acronym. Okay. You know, Getting Out Our Dreams, Rat Pack. Well, what the hell? Uh, Well, if I add a T, real all the time. So it's like, we're we're keeping it real. We're keeping it honest. We're we're ourselves, you know? And then that just goes into the whole Sinatra thing. Now, the funny thing is it's furthest from trying to escape from the childhood and actually embracing it. Because my mom would show me like black and white, you know, videos of, or, or movies of Sinatra and play his music and all this stuff. So it's like without her and without as crazy and hectic as my uh, home environment was as a child, without many of those uh, or a few of those sweet moments, I wouldn't have the things that I do today creatively or uh, as a man. Yeah. It's crazy to think how without you knowing it, that was kind of your therapy at the time. For sure. And then I guess speeding up a couple years, to right before that 1-800 song came out. I know we talked about it a little bit before, but what was the main message trying to be before that came out? Of course, it took a life of its own, but... You mean what was my message, like what I was trying to do for that song? Yeah, like like did you expect it to take the shape and form that it did? Or was it just a song that you wanted to put out because of the mental health message and, and didn't expect everything that happened after? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I... Um... I, I went on a fan tour in uh, in in 2015 before uh, the incredible true story came out. That's my second album about space, which also got shit on because it was too nerdy. And now people are like, "Yo, it's classic." Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I I went to fans' houses and hung out with them and surprised them and ate dinner with their families and jumped on trampolines and you know just played video games and had fun and played them this album before anybody else had heard it all the way through. 
And uh, a lot, I think the biggest thing I took away is how much people were saying my music changed their lives and also saved their lives. And I was just like, get the fuck out of here. What are you talking about? Like, yeah, yeah right. You know, but then I was like, yo, and I'm, they're telling me these stories about, yo, these lyrics and this song. And when you said this and like, yo, like when you, and dear God, when you talk about your mom almost killing you, I went through abuse. And then when you over here talk about hard breakups and da, 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 da. And like, they're just like, you're putting your everything out there and like helping people. And I was just like, yo, I ain't even trying. Like all the music I make is pretty selfish. Like I'm just making it to feel better about myself or try to like get these thoughts out and understand it better for my own personal growth but in doing so it's like like whenever i'm like you can make it like in my mixtapes like you got it like you can follow your dreams like i didn't give a shit about anybody else i was talking to myself because nobody was telling me that you know what i mean but then i mean obviously i'm writing it in a way where i'm talking to others but i'm really talking to myself so then when i saw how much those things had affected others i was like okay well i'm saving lives apparently and i'm not even trying i haven't even tried to do that so that stuck with me and then i was like you know hey maybe i could i could do this record this could like be really cool if i do something specifically for this and um it's funny because nobody really knows this story but i'll I'll give you guys the exclusive i did uh the chain smokers hit me up really nice guys really cool guys they're like really big in the pop world or whatever right good guys for sure and uh yeah and really sweet, always very nice. And and they send me this record for their album. They're working on, uh, I don't know, whatever whatever album they were working on in 2016. They send me this this record, and they're like, uh, it was just like some chords. It was pretty different. It was very different from what I eventually produced um, to make the beat sound like for 1 800. But I sing this hook, you know, um, uh, I've been on the low, I've been taking my time. I feel like I'm out of my mind you know, who can relate. Right. Um, and they just kept it a hundred. They were like, yeah, this is like a little dark. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, I don't, I don't really know about this. And I was like pissed off, not at them, but like in general, because like, I always find it really funny when somebody comes to logic and then logic gives them what logic does and then it's not good enough. So that's no Mm -hmm. slight to them. I'm just saying it's always like I find people will come to me and be like, Hey man, you want to do this thing? And I'm like, yeah. And then I'm like, here you go. And they're like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> but but not, not like that them. though yeah, yeah. yeah not like you know what i mean but they're cool right but i'm like all right i'm gonna do this song then right so i was i thought it would be like really fun to do it and then i finished it and i got khalid and this is like right before khalid like blew up and alessia yeah. cara had already been doing amazing and it was just like all the right pieces at the right moment at the right time for people yeah and when the song first came out um it was like all like everyone was like oh wow like this is really like this is special this is different and i was like not even giving a fuck because i was i wasn't trying to chase anything and my manager chris was like bro this is kind of popping bro (laughs) he's like this is kind of and i would like hang up on him i'd be like i don't want to talk about it like i'm done chasing the doing the trying to do the radio and this and that but like when it first came out it was crazy how much like fans and people like really resonated with it and then once it goes you know however many times plat like eight times platinum or whatever then it's like oh this song like he only made this so that he could like pop and be on the radio and it's like yeah song about suicide i was definitely like oh yeah this is gonna this is the one you know what i mean like not at all so all that being said i had no way in shape or form thought that um this song was gonna be as big as it was i didn't make it for that reason my whole career is been a very slow burn up until that point and i'm glad it happened that way i'm glad that i gave up on the industry in a in a way and i'm glad that i was like screw trying to make things pop off and then yeah but then the funny part is after that song i was like all right let's make something pop off and then i did bobby tarantino too because i was like all right all the eyes are on me let's make some bangers and then i did that but that i wasn't really happy doing that just while we're talking about 1-800 and while we have you just to me Personally, I had such an experience with that song in in the summer of 2018. I kind of hit like my rock bottom and and was dealing with a lot of suicidal ideation. And and I have vivid memories still of of me driving around in my car by myself, kind of being in that place and and revisiting that song and just how just how I felt like it was kind of made for me or that like you were really speaking directly to me. And like, I felt so singular and like purposeful and just the way that each chorus kind of changed and like the pendulum swings, it like really did 
make me feel less alone. And then I probably didn't listen to the song for like two years. And then when we were doing our episode prep last week in the office, I, I watched the Grammy performance and I was literally just like tearing up in my office. And just like, I have to let you know how much the song means to me and just like the legs that it has and the amount of people that it's helped. I I just feel like it's going to be an absolute timeless song that really is the song for this movement that is now gaining so much momentum and it it really means a lot to me so i want to thank you thanks man that actually like warms my heart it makes me feel really good because that's why i made it and then the song got popular and then i basically like hated it because everywhere i go i'm like the suicide guy and then i was like over it (laughs) you know what i mean but like yeah in, in the time that i've like really stepped away i've been like wow this is like a cool this is like a cool thing that I don't even want to say I did because it's not even like I'm not trying to just that happened. It's a cool thing that was created. And I'm just so honored, especially now looking back, because it is difficult. Like when you have a hit record, like anybody with a hit record hates the hit record. Like (laughs) you hate the record because you hear it and everyone's like, do the thing, monkey, like do the thing. You know what I mean? It's (laughs) like Wakanda forever. Every interview, like do the thing. Like, you know, so now that I've stepped away, I can actually just really appreciate it. And I'm excited to continue to sing that song for the rest of my life, man. No, that's awesome, mate. You definitely don't need to keep using those uh, those air quotes when you talk about saving lives because it's, it's real shit. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's very sweet what you said. Thanks, man. Yeah, and definitely I think we were watching that last week. We also were, were re-watching the, the retirement announcement. So for us, like that that quote about you are finally able to love yourself. First of all, that was an amazing speech. And I'm obediently yours. I won't be on the internet for the first time in my career because it hurts me. And every time I released an album, I just wanted to be loved. And this time I don't check the internet because I finally love myself. So thank you so much. Of course, like I think also changed a lot of lives, but you talked about it a bit before, but what was it that eventually got you to the place where you were able to love yourself, right? Was it just a, a process over time? Um, and and how did you decide to to say that in that moment? Uh, probably getting off social media. Social media is constantly telling everyone that we're not good enough. You know what I mean? Um, and then And then, you know, because your avatar and some person on the internet's avatar is the same size, they feel like they have this uh, opportunity to say whatever they want to you. It doesn't matter if you're at my level, at your guys' level, killing it at, at, you know, just, uh, you know, a regular person in high school and like, whatever, like it's a negative space, but it's also beautiful because without the internet, you know, y'all wouldn't be popping with your brand. I wouldn't exist. Like we wouldn't even be doing this thing. So it's, yeah. it's a gift and a curse. I think it's, um, I think it's definitely better than it is worse, but the negative is very loud, right? It's like, I mean, look at the news. Like nobody's like, a box of kittens were saved from a lake today. Like it's never that it's like, you know, man goes crazy and shoots 12 kids. Like, so when you're, when you're around all this negativity, um, it can be very hard to get away from it. And me, that's something that like I had to do. I'm just not on social media. Like, um, one thing I did for fun yesterday is just trolled everybody. And I dropped this like little freestyle on my YouTube that nobody (laughs) knows about. And I'm like, I retire for a minute, but I guess I'm back, man. And then my buddy was saying, he was, he was like, everyone thinks you're unretired. And I was like, no, that's the, the the joke. It's like I just came back for a sixty second freestyle. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like it's just funny. Um, but I think the internet is one of the hardest things I've ever uh, experienced, and not just for me, for people I love. Like you know, when I went through my first divorce, it was just everyone in my business, and they had no idea why it didn't work out. You want to know why it didn't work out? Because we weren't right for each other. It's that simple. No cheating. No hating. No uh, arguing, no screaming, no beating, no, nothing like that. And then I meet this beautiful young woman and, you know, after I'm separated and everyone calls her a home wrecker and an ugly whore bitch and blah, 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 all this shit. And I'm like, wow, this is like the most sweetest girl ever in the world who just worked at a smoothie shop and is suddenly catapulted into like TMZ line, uh, you know, headlines and all this stuff. And I'm like, I can't do this. And I think it was after Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which is one of the last albums that I did. For me, that was just like a really fun album. I talk a lot about social media on the on that album, especially on the title track Confessions, which is a deep record. But for me, I just wanted to have fun. Like I just wanted to like make fun songs. And for whatever reason, as as commercially successful as it was, it by a certain group on the internet, it just wasn't received well and kind of made me feel like I was a failure. And I'm sitting there playing arenas and then I'm off 
I step off stage after the screaming bloody murder for me to come back on stage. And I look at my phone and I'm told I'm, I suck. Like, so I'm like, oh man, made me really, 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 really depressed, like fucked up, like really bad. Like it was affecting my life. And then I realized when I'm not on the internet, I'm good. You know what I yeah. mean? Like if I just don't see it, it's fine. Um, and it's not that, oh, you, you can't take criticism. There's a big difference between I didn't really like that song and like, yo, eat shit and die. You fucking bitch. Like what? Yeah. yeah. It's a big difference. Yeah. So um, I think that it was a, kind of an easy choice to to step away and learn that I love myself by not um, – I wouldn't say succumbing to, but not uh, forcing myself in this like pool of lava every day, you know? And like, I had to ask myself, like, why am I doing this? And it's really sad too, because I came up on the internet. So like, I loved engaging with fans constantly, tweeting at them, Instagram, tagging them, you know, direct messaging them, like helping them out and sending them free merch and and tickets and all these things. I loved it. But then I just got so famous that it's like, it's like some Justin Bieber shit. It's like, everyone hates Justin Bieber. Like, no, they don't. People love (laughs) Justin Bieber, man. You know what I mean? Like he's great. But this, this world that we're in, this society makes us feel like it's Justin Bieber. Oh my God. Did you see he tripped on his shoelace? Like he's a human. Like, let's go in. I just can't be with that, man. Yeah. I think, the point you made about it's what brought you up and also like, you know, the positives and negatives of it is such a crazy thing, right? Because we feel like, you know, like with the song, right? The song wouldn't have been able to spread that much and affect that many people without the internet. Uh, same thing with our brand, right? Like we, we try to have a very positive message while also seeing like the negatives of social media. And it's like this interesting thing, because like you said, we do think that there's more positive than negative. Although like, in certain situations, it's like too much and you have to step away. I guess coming back to your point on like being able to like love yourself, I think for us also as a brand, right, it is unique what we've tried to do, which is like, and we're also not very accepted by like the space. We're a brand, but like we, we write like local optimists, you know, it's like a positive message and, and it's a cool brand, right? Like that's not like something that is common, I think. And it's been a learning for us too, right? Of not trying to have to like fit into like what every other brand is doing, not trying to be like too cool where like, you know, and it's like, we can have everyone wear our stuff and that's okay. We don't need to be just like this small little bubble. Right. And I think a lot of what we grew up with was like that. So it's just an interesting thing of just both sides, right? There's so many pros and cons. Do you, and you'll be good. And I think, um, I think social media also, um, it shows, especially the youth, but everyone that you're not good enough just being like a regular person. You know, if you don't have a million followers and even a million is like, oh, that's whack. You only have a million. Like (laughs) my last ass picture has 45,000 billion likes. Like, you know what I mean? Like all this stuff. And I think that uh, we should be able to be ourselves and not made to feel bad about it. So I think the fact that you guys have created a brand and it's dope. And the reason it's dope is because it isn't over the top. It's not like you're trying to do all these wild, like it's just a great brand, like a great meaning behind it. Dope, clean designs. That's why I wear it. Like I got, yeah, like I bought you. your stuff, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, it's great. But if you just be you, but that's what I was going to say. Being, just be yourself and you'll always win. The difficult thing is when you're trying to be yourself as a human being in the world, you're constantly told that you're not good enough because so-and-so's in Paris and this other person's over here and blah, blah, blah. And you're at fucking Starbucks. And it's like, bro, you're at Starbucks. That's dope. Like, what are you going to do this weekend? Like you're working, you're paying your bills. Like you're great. Not everybody has to be this like business owner or this, this or that or whatever the case may be. Or if, if, or or really it's like anybody could be anything. So if you want to have your own business, instead of like wanting to skip steps and be like, I need it now. Why don't you like step back and be like, life is short, but I got a long time to live it. So if you want to create, I don't know, a clothing company, or if you want to create art or, you know, draw or paint or this or that focused on your craft and get really good at that 
and then slowly integrate the business into it, you know, because if you're solely doing something just for music, excuse me, just for money, you'll be very unhappy. Like with, and I, I, bro, I, I did a $30 million deal and was like, didn't want to live on this planet. You know what I mean? Like I thought once I got all this money, that's it. I'll be happy. And I was like my most depressed. Yeah. And it's because I was constantly saying yes to everything and running myself dry and breaking down in tears on stage because I felt like I had to, like there was no escape. I was malnourished. I was unhealthy at my healthiest. Like this is the credit, like back when I was all yoked and fucking Bobby Biceps and Bobby Tarantino and it all became vanity. It became about vanity and like, I got to be strong now because I look like a twig my whole life and all this stuff. And once I stopped doing things for other people, everything changed. That's an amazing message just in general to to leave the audience with uh which is i think if someone like you went through that right it means everyone goes through it right we all have our ups and downs and i think being able to talk about it and being able to express those emotions and how you felt uh in certain down times in your life is so important right and i think that that's where like you can truly start to change right yeah but you just got to know that it's going to be hard because it's like being yourself is probably the hardest thing that you could do in the, in the world, you know, for a lot of my career, I wanted to be Kendrick Lamar. I wanted to be J. Cole. I wanted to be Drake because these are artists that like I love, you know, and so I would like learn their styles. And but I mean, I could say that about Wu-Tang. I wanted to be Wu-Tang. I wanted to be Nas. Everybody wants to be everybody. You know, LeBron yeah. wanted to be Michael Jordan. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. what you want. And then over time, you really find yourself, you know, and you find like what makes you you. And um I think what makes me me is like constantly trolling everyone and doing weird, different things with my art. Like, yeah, I love it. Like, it's just, just be yourself, but just know you are going to be torn shreds and you're going to have to rebuild yourself stronger and better every time because the world's just going to keep telling you you're not good enough. You know what I mean? But it's to, you need to find people and surround yourself with people who will be your cheerleaders and tell you you are good enough, but you also need to heed their advice and their words. I think it's very important. Yeah, that that's the biggest thing for me too is like the support system that we build for ourselves because no one can do anything alone, right? Like it wasn't as easy for you as just deleting IG off my phone or like when I think about it for me, it's like it takes a village. Like when I was in treatment or even when I came out and I was doing inpatient, like you need to have people around you who love you who don't judge you who have your best interest at heart and like having that support system whether it's a therapist a friend a parent a partner all those all kind of, of things <laughs> yeah yeah like all of it makes the difference dude i would be like do you know how much more money i would have if i was like on social media <laughs> like i think about that sometimes i'm like bro like i remember i was getting like a million two million views on a single story and i'm posting like 20 stories a day like right. it was like this moment when i was just like so, not not that i'm not popping i'm popping motherfucker. you know what i mean like i've, I've created yeah. something with a fan base that's like and i'm so excited and happy about that but like yeah. to to equate my value as a human being in likes or views or this or that or da, 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 da. like it's it's weird and it's weird to think like well you know you could be even more relevant if you were on Instagram or you were on this or you were on that. And then I've realized, you know what? My favorite artists in the world really aren't on Instagram. They're not on this. They're not on that. And they they never like tried to be someone that they weren't. I mean, they probably did, right? We all kind of do that. But I'm just saying in the grand scheme, I look at my favorites and I go. Yeah. Real G's, man. Yeah. Yeah. Real G's, bro. Yeah. They move in silence. Like lasagna. <laughs> um, the last question for you is. So what's next, right? You talk about the book that's coming. Like, how do you think about the next part of your life and, and the journey that's coming with you, your family? Um, great question. Thank you. The things that, that's most important in my life is uh, creating. Well, first and foremost, my son, my wife, and then creating. I'm constantly making music, bro. You should see this room I'm in. There's like 90 guitars around me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Mad Libs sending me beats and like, I'm just, I don't know. Like, I'm always like rapping and singing and doing this and that and yeah, I don't know. I to to sit here like I'm retired. You know, Hove came back. I don't know. Am I going to come back in ten <laughs> years? In a month? I don't know. I'm going to do what I want when I want. If I wake up tomorrow, I want to put out an album. I'm going to do it. I do not think that's going to happen. <laughs> I really don't. You know what I mean? But yeah. it could. That's one thing I've learned is like 
nothing is finite. Nothing is forever. You know what I mean? It's not like, and I used to always say that, like, even when making albums, like this, this song has to be on this album or this has to be the exact order. And it's just like, Hey man, just chill, bro. Like, just let it, uh, let it figure itself out. So that's kind of what I'm doing. It's like, when I think about where I'm headed from here, it's like, yeah, okay, I got a book, but like, then what? I don't know. Maybe I'll do like a dope tour. Yeah. And I'll do a tour of my book and I'll do like, I don't know, 2000 people and talk and turn it almost into a seminar about how I overcame what I was doing. And then it's like dope. Cause I'm, you know, I'm making a living. Right. But I'm also giving people a really great experience. And maybe I break down songs and how those equate to what was in the book or this. And then we just do a giant Q and a pizza party. I don't know, man. Or, you know, maybe I just drop 10 albums on your head in the same day in different categories. I don't know. Yeah. But I like that I don't know. And I think the fact that we're so like, it's weird. Me being so like concise and type A with my music and my brand and my business has gotten me here. So if I was just super loose with it all the time, I'd probably be like most of these other musicians who are so loose that they actually like don't become successful. I don't mean to yeah. sound any type of way, but yeah. like the fact that Zaru, my, you know, Chris, my manager taught me about business. It made me go, yo, let's like, let's make an impact. Let's get this money. Like, let's do what we got to do. And then I got to a certain level where I worked for and earned to be able to retire or unretire or this or that, or what, I don't know what's going to happen. But it was all those painstaking years of like, this is how it's going to happen to get me to be like, okay, now I can just relax. So that's, there's the 10 minute answer to your question. <laughs> that's great. Before we go, we'd like to end every episode with a little two part question. Uh, the first being what makes you mad happy? And the second, if you could nominate anyone to come on the show who you think has just a cool perspective on mental health or a unique story, who would that be? Damn, I know a lot of people. Let me think about this for a second. Sorry. Well, I'll tell you what makes me mad happy. My family. Hey. For sure, yeah, my little my little boy, <laughs> little Bobby and his mom. She's fucking hot. She's a great mom. She's awesome. Nice. Um, as far as I know, I know a lot of people, man. Uh, one person that does come to mind is Steve Bloom, my favorite voice actor. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, he's about to turn like fucking sixty one. He looks twenty, <laughs> and he's uh he's been through a lot. Um, and he's always been very open. So yeah, I'd have to say Steve. He's he's incredible. He's a really great guy. Nice, awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And before we sign off, just thank you again for coming on. I know that you've made an impact personally on all of our lives here uh, and across the world uh, with your music. So we really, really appreciate you supporting us and uh, and coming on today. For sure. I'm honored to be here. I appreciate y'all. You know, stay uh, happy. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. When uh, When's the book dropping, by the way? I don't know, Do man. Do we have that or not yet? No, I, I gotta finish it. It's almost done though. It's a vibe. It's crazy. Coming soon. It's it's insane. After after that comes out, we should uh, you guys should read it, and then we jump back on here and talk some more. That'd be fun. Definitely. Let's definitely do it. Very excited for thanks that. Thanks so thanks so much, Bobby. All right, Bobby. Peace. Signing off, everyone. All right, stay black. I'm out of here. Thank you all so much for listening. It means the world that you took the time to participate in this conversation, and we hope it gave you even a small something that you can take in your daily life. A big, big thanks to Logic for joining us today, and really his willingness to be vulnerable about his real life. We also want to remind everyone, ourselves included, that mental health is an ongoing process and is something that takes daily work. For more information on how to get support, please check out localoptimist.com backslash podcast. If you want to support the show, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next week for our conversation with We Can't Tell You Yet, where we talk about, you guessed it, mental health. See you all next time. Stay mad happy. The Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism.